So let us hear then God's word, Titus 2, verse 1. But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine, that the older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, in patience. The older women likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded, in all things showing yourself <clears throat> to be a pattern of good works, and doctrine showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. Exhort bondservants to be obedient to their own masters, to be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back, not pilfering, but showing all good fidelity, that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. May God add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his holy word. <clears throat> Amen. Well, as we have seen uh, here in this section, Paul is instructing Titus to, in turn, then instruct these various groups and these ages, these peoples here in uh, the Cretan churches. And in particular, the focus here, obviously, is on how to live a godly life in your homes. Now, all of our homes, in various ways and to various degrees, have our own set of rules, our own set of codes. Um, and there are certain ones of those that are unique to our family. There are probably certain things that our family has done that probably is not done in another family, or certainly not in exactly the same way. Uh, now, Paul here does give us some specifics in these ways, uh, but for the most part, he's focusing on character qualities, living a holy life. And so um, Paul begins then, of course, with uh, the older men as the heads of homes. Uh, remember, especially in the first century, it was very common for extended generations to live together, not like we do today, but often having parents, grandparents, great-grandchildren, you know, all of this living together. And uh, so the older men, as leaders in the home, um, is where he begins. And simply, <clears throat> he says that we must be different from the world. Um, we must avoid uh, intoxicating activities, whether it's alcohol or any other kinds of addictions and temptations. The older men are to be dignified and respectable. They are to think carefully. They are to have a healthy trust in God, as well as love for God, and a patient uh, hope as we await Christ's coming. And so when the older men are doing this in their homes, the home is blessed. And this then carries forth also into the churches and even into society. Then he talks about older women and says very similar things. Uh, but basically, he's saying older women don't be like the culture. And of course, at that time, it was the new Roman woman, the feminism of the day. And he says that they must be different. They must behave in godly ways. They must control their tongues. They must control their addictions and temptations. And he ends his 
short list here for the older women by emphasizing teaching. They must teach good things, especially to women and children. And so the next generation, um, even at that time and for many times throughout history, was typically done by the women in the home and the older women here. Now, if they were wealthy enough to hire a tutor, that would be different. Or, of course, at times we had um, community schools, and now, of course, we have government schools. Um, but historically, it's been done by the women in the home. And so simply, if we want our homes to produce godly progeny, the older women are a huge part of this. Now, Paul then takes the next step. As we spill into verse 4, and I introduced it briefly last time, Paul is expecting these older women to then teach the younger women on how to do these things, to train them. Now, you might remember that word the New King James says, admonish. It's the verb form of thinking soberly. And we'll see that word here uh, again today. Now, as for the older men and the older women, as we've talked about at that time, typically we're talking 50 years old and up. Hey, we might think of a different age range today. But as for younger women, uh, in that day, basically it was when they could start having children. And so you're talking mid-teenage years on up primarily through your 20s into your 30s and so forth uh, is this age range of younger women. So roughly 15 to 30, maybe, something to that effect, uh, of an age range for younger women. Now, today, we might think of those who graduated high school or those who graduated college or something to that effect. Uh, but in that day, right, the, even my Emma could very well have been married at this point at 15 years of age and starting to have children. Um, and so this is... Um, what Paul would have been addressing, the older women speaking to the younger women here in this way. So, the rest of verse 4 then says simply that the older women are to teach the younger women to love their husbands and to love their children. All right. might be helpful for us to think how our culture is teaching the opposite today. Our culture is encouraging mothers not to love their children in certain ways, and wives not to love their husbands in certain ways. For example, I'm sure all of us have heard from someone that the woman is always right. Or the husband says, she's the boss. Now, how is that really loving to the husband and even to the children? That's not the way God designed things to be. The man is to, to lead and initiate. The woman is to help and assist. So if the woman is the head of the house, how is that loving to the husband? How is that loving to the children? You add other women's lib ideas, such as sexual freedoms, and women's roles being changed, not just, as I mentioned, but even in other ways. And uh, especially, we see these ideas in our culture with women uh, in the workplace. Now, um, for certain families, and maybe you can even say many families today with our uh, inflationary society, uh, the economic policies over the last century especially that have um, raised um, money in, in, in so many different ways, not 
and of course our salaries tend not to keep up with inflation, uh, generally speaking. This has forced families uh, to have the wife work. And uh, there certainly are families that don't need to do that, and the woman stays home, and she's with the children and such, but for many families, they do need to work. Even our own family has uh, faced this situation. Uh, Nailene, as soon as uh, she was pregnant with Nathaniel, stopped working. Um, And it's right in the middle of the school year, basically. And um, she went back to work here about five years ago. Now she was doing some teachings on, you know, if you will, small things, but not full-time. Now, how do we handle this? Well, at least the way we handled it was, Nailene could have gotten a job at a Christian school that would have paid a decent amount of money, but it was not the kind of school we wanted to send our children to. And so she said no. Because then she would have been away making money, but away from the children. We would have had to pay for the children to go to a different Christian school or something. But So she ended up at COA, and she can be where the children are. And so right now, Matthew's in her homeroom class and such. She had Emma already, and, and she sees Noah uh, every day. In fact, she's with the children on a daily basis more than I am. So even though she is working, it is still, can you say, family-oriented. Now, not everybody is able to do this. I understand that. But it does, I think, um, it's something we should strive to do. When the woman has to work for one reason or another, uh, to do it in a way that's going to benefit the family. And it's going to be uh, family-centric as much as possible. Now, another aspect to all of this is, uh, uh, of course, I've used the language of woke ideas here. And uh, in this context, woke women see their husbands as oppressors. I am not exaggerating. That's exactly the thought. Woke women see their husbands as oppressors. And they must fight to overthrow their husbands. Sounds a bit like Genesis 3.16, doesn't it? This is exactly what Eve did. This was part of God's punishment on the woman, that she would desire to overthrow her husband. And the woke women, they're flaunting that. So Paul is saying, right, let's be different, young women. We also live in a culture now that is saying that our children are autonomous and they can choose their own gender and lifestyle and we as parents must support them and whatever they decide. How is that loving to our children? But even if we're just allowing our children to spend hours a day in front of the TV or on social media or something like that, how is that loving to our children? If we do not provide oversight, especially if they're away at school being indoctrinated by things that are not godly, or even just spending lots of times with their friends without oversight, um, how is this loving? Giving our children excessive freedoms is actually hateful. Now, on the other side of things, helicopter moms, as they're called, are also can be stifling and not very helpful. 
wives who are very critical and demeaning are not very loving. Do you see the point here? I'm using some negative examples to help to highlight the positive way of doing things. And so, young women, if you're opposing your husbands, if you're arguing, if you're fighting, if you're tearing down, that's not going to be a benefit to anyone. And in fact, it's going to be harmful to your children too. Now, I could spend a a whole sermon just on these ideas, and we'll actually come back to some of these ideas as we go through verse 5. Um, but simply, we must be different. There are things to talk about in regard to single uh, women. There are things to talk about in terms of single moms. There are things to talk about in terms of those who may be married to an unbelieving husband. There are things to talk about in regard to our children. Each child is different. We don't have time to do all those things here tonight. But we're to be different from the culture. Paul is saying that here. Maybe not quite as explicitly as in 1 Timothy. But that is certainly the idea behind some of what he says. Especially if you go back to chapter 1 and uh, verses 12 and 13. We must be different from the Cretan culture, he says. And we, of course, the same today. And so... uh, Older women, younger women, love, help, minister. Don't manipulate. Don't be selfish. Don't be demanding. As the Bible says, the glory of a woman is being a good wife and a good mother. Again, there are exceptions to these things, but this is the norm. All right, well, let's keep going. Let's look at verse 5 now. To be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. All right, the first word here, the New King James translates as discreet. If you have another translation, you may have a different word there. Um, It's actually the same word for sober-minded that we have seen several times now. In chapter 1, verse 8, we saw it there in regard to the elders. In chapter 2, verse 2, you recall the New King James translated the word as temperate, but it's that word sober-minded. I just mentioned a few moments ago in verse 4, the verb for admonish is actually sober-minded. And here it is again. Be sober-minded. We're going to see it again in verse 6. Obviously, this is very important to Paul. And everyone must be sober-minded. We must think Soberly, we must think clearly. We must not have a buzz, as it were, in our thinking. We must not be drunk in our thinking. We must think soberly. And so we must emphasize the mind here, but certainly this then impacts our behavior. So maybe we could put it this way. Again, trying to apply it to the, if you will, modern Cretan culture here today. Don't think like the women on The View Hey, Joy Behar and Whoopi Goldberg. Don't think that way. That's not thinking soberly. Don't think like the women on Desperate Housewives or any other soap opera or whatever you want to think, right? Don't think like the woke women of our day, like Chelsea Clinton, who's written a new book, and it's all filled with these crazy ideas. Don't think that way. Think differently. Think instead like a Proverbs 31 woman 
Think like Ruth did. Think like Hannah. Think like Mary. Or maybe some more modern examples. We might think of Elizabeth Elliot, or we might think of Rosaria Butterfield, and, and even others. Let's turn a moment to 1 Peter chapter 3. For Peter says similar things here. In 1 Peter 3, and beginning of verse 1, it says, Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they, without a word, may be won by the conduct of their wives, when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. Did you hear all those words? Very similar words to what Paul uses here in Titus. Okay? Peter says some different things than Paul, but very much the same ideas. And so women, think like this. Think like Sarah, as Peter says, and then behave that way. All right, let's come back then to uh, Titus 2. And notice the next word here is chaste. That's one that Peter used there. Translation may say pure here. Uh, it means to be without defect in a moral sense, to be free from blame. Um, now, it isn't always in connection with sexual things, but certainly that is the emphasis. And so to be pure in this way includes dressing modestly as a young woman and uh, uh, being pure, obviously, in your, your thinking and in your behaviors. Okay. Again, Paul is speaking into a culture where the new Roman woman was very much the same thing that we're dealing with today with feminism. It's, it's not different much at all. And in the new Roman woman uh, ideals, the woman wanted to have just as much sexual freedom as men. Paul says no. Be chaste, be pure. You need to be different. All right, now the next one, in some ways, takes us back to what we saw in verse 4, and even some of the things I said there about thinking soberly. Um, and, and the New King James translates this as homemakers. And that's a pretty good way of putting it. Literally, it's, it's the two words put together. It's the word for work, and it's the word for, word for house. So a worker of the house, or a homemaker, Domestic things is, is the idea. Uh, now, this would include teaching and training children, not just cooking and baking and cleaning and sewing and so forth. Um, and so it includes uh, education. Now, let me say this here in this context. Um, I don't think Paul, nor do I think the scripture, teaches us or would forbid women from working outside of the home. But I do think it should emphasize the family as much as possible. 
focusing on raising children, finding jobs where you could possibly work with your children, or at least if they're at school, hey, they, you can work while they're at school or something to that effect. Okay. <clears throat> but the main point here is uh, working at home. Okay. The new Roman woman was encouraging women not to be faithful to their families, not to be committed in that way, to be self-indulgent, to be a working woman, just like we hear today. In our culture, it is very common for the message to the young women to be something like, wait to have your family, have your career first, or something like that. Or they'll say, try to be a full-time worker and a full-time mom, and everybody suffers unfortunately, in those situations. And so once again, we are to be different. The wife, the mother, she is to be different. She's to be a helper and uh, to to work around the house, as it were. Now let's uh, turn just a moment to 1 Timothy chapter 5. Now Paul is speaking very specifically here in 1 Timothy 5 in regard to young women who were widows. And he says in verse 13, and gossips and busybodies saying things which they ought not. So he's encouraging the younger women who are widows to remarry so they won't do these kinds of things. It'll, can you say, give them something to do, to raise children, to take care of their husband and their home and so forth. But you see how Paul, even in this context, is encouraging the idea of homemaking, as we call it. And this helps to avoid sin. And, as I said a little bit ago, really this is the the glory and honor of a woman, biblically speaking. All right. Now, the next word here is good. Now, that is incredibly general, isn't it? This could apply to all kinds of things. But did you notice that Peter used the word too? And so they must have had something in mind when they said about being good. Now certainly we can say being good is acting like God. Being good is keeping his commands. Certainly that's true. But many have suggested that we should narrow the thought to some degree and think of the ideas of kindness, of benevolence, maybe showing hospitality, uh, being thoughtful and helpful to those who are in need. Um, Others say that the emphasis here is on being good-natured and not grumpy or critical and demeaning. Think of what Peter said, having a gentle and quiet spirit, and so being good-natured. Um. So it's kind of hard to know how to think about this particular word because it is so broad. But because it is so broad, we can apply it to all kinds of things. And here are some uh, thoughts here in this way. All right, now, the next um, phrase here is obedient to their own husbands. Um, All right, The, the word there for obedient can be translated that way. But it's the normal word for submit. And your translation, if you have another one, may say that. Submissive 
to their own husbands. Um, obviously, Peter said that, <coughs> and that's how it was translated. In fact, the two, the, the normal word for submit and the normal word for obey are both used there in 1 Peter 3. This is the one for submit. And so young women are to submit to their own husbands. They don't need to submit to somebody else's husband, but to their own husband. Now, the idea of submission, of course, has been greatly maligned and demonized here in our culture. (coughs) But simply it means to acknowledge that someone has authority over you. So we can submit to the governing authorities in, in the the magistrate, right, in civil society. We can submit to our elders in the church. We can submit to our parents and so on. Um, Here it's in the context of husband and wife. Submitting to your husband is an act of love. So going back to verse 4. But this does not mean blind obedience. Some people think that that's what submission means. Either those who hate the idea and avoid it, or those who insist on it. But it does not mean blind obedience. So let's think soberly here for a moment on this and the roles of women here in this way. When Paul and Peter and others say that wives should submit to their husbands, this does not mean that the woman is inferior to the man. There is not an inherent greaterness of the man or lesserness for the woman. It's not there. We are both made in the image of God, Genesis 1. Now, I didn't read verse 7 in 1 Peter 3, but Peter says, after what he says to the woman, he says to the husband about uh, loving and caring for her, and he says how they are joint heirs. We are equal in salvation. Remember what Paul says, says elsewhere, there is no male or female anymore, meaning... Okay, we're equal before the Lord. We're equal in sin, we're equal in our creation, we're equal in our salvation. And so we are not talking about inferiority. Okay, the Muslims do, other people do. Yes, they believe women are inherently less valuable than men. But that's not what the Bible teaches at all. It's not what Paul is saying here. And so we do not want to think that Paul is saying that women should be doormats. Yes, dear, kind of approach. Or barefoot and pregnant kind of approach. That's not what he is emphasizing here. He is saying that women should be helpers, should assist their husbands, should encourage them. He's not saying that they should be a doormat. There's a very important distinction that we need to make between this word for submission and obedience. Romans 13 very clearly says, submit to your governing authorities. It doesn't say obey, because there is a place where we do not obey those in authority over us. Civil disobedience is perfectly justified, at least in certain situations. Likewise, a wife can oppose her husband if he is doing something sinful. There is a place for that, rebuking him when he sins. So this is not talking about being a doormat. It has been common uh, in the last, oh, maybe 
20 years or so, maybe even a generation, uh, to talk about the patriarchy movement in our culture. And this has largely been a reaction against feminism. And there are some good things about it. It is forcing men to step up again and, uh, and lead. Uh, but it also, at least in some of those things, has gone a bit too far. And some of the patriarchal movement see women as inferior, see this barefoot and pregnant, just do whatever he says kind of approach. And that's not right. I do believe that the complementarian view is the best way of understanding it. Now, some people misunderstand what the complementarian view is. But simply, okay, we are equal before the Lord, equal in value and worth, equal in sin and salvation. But there is a difference between men and women, and not just biologically, but in our roles and in our relationship with one another. Okay. And so Paul is saying, older women, you need to get this straight, and then you need to teach the younger women to do the same thing. Okay. And so the primary task here of the younger woman, again, there are exceptions. There are the single moms, there are people who are single. There are the exceptions. But the primary task of the younger woman is to be a loving wife and a loving and good mother, focusing on home life. This is not demeaning. This is a high calling. This is an amazing task. And when it is done well, society is stable. And everyone is blessed, even outside of the home and even beyond the church. And so use your freedom in Christ to submit to your husband, to love your families. Now some of you are not at this point yet of the young woman who is married with children. But many of you will be at some point, maybe even very soon. Keep these things in mind. Okay? Those of you who are older women who have maybe moved past these things, teach the younger women to behave in these ways. And so the point, I think, is pretty straightforward here, isn't it? If the older women are ungodly, how are the younger women going to learn? If the older women are godly, then the next generation is blessed too. You know, have you ever noticed going into a bookstore or possibly if you're searching online, how many books there are out there on parenting? How many times Dr. Phil and Oprah have uh, their TV shows that talk about family and raising children? Or how many churches have marriage seminars? Or even crisis pregnancy centers? And how many schools have counselors? And how many people are psychologists and psychiatrists? One of the main reasons why there are so many of these things is because the older women are not teaching the younger women how to do these things. It's more than that. It's also the older men not doing their job of teaching the younger men. But do you see the point? One of the reasons why we have so many of these things, you can go, into, you can go on Amazon and literally find hundreds of these things. Thousands even. And it's in part because not only is the younger generation not know how to can food or not know how to 
um, cook a good meal, or even to do woodworking and smithworking and some of these kinds of things. Not only have we lost some of those things in our culture, but we've lost the idea of how to be a good spouse, how to be a good mother, as well as father, and so on. And so Paul is saying these household codes are so important because it is a benefit to our families, it's a benefit for generations to come, it's a benefit for society. Well, in conclusion here today, let's turn to Proverbs 31 and just read through this and I'll make a few comments here. As always, there is so much to say, and hopefully in my brevity, I have not omitted things that should have been said. Um, But let's conclude here in this way. Uh, Proverbs 31, of course, beginning in verse 10. Who can find a virtuous wife? For her worth is far above rubies. Isn't that what Paul is really assuming when he says about younger women here? The heart of her husband safely trusts her, so he will have no lack of gain. And you see the implication here of how she's loving her husband and how he is content and is benefited. Verse 12, she does him good and not evil all the days of her life. She's not that, right, that, that drip, drip, drip annoying thing, right? <laughs> okay. Does him good. She seeks wool and flax and willingly works with her hands. So note that she is is a hard worker. The assumption here is clothing, I think, especially, but even food there with flax may be a part of the idea. She is like the merchant ships. She brings her food from afar. Now note the implication. How can you get food from afar if you're barefoot and pregnant and home all the time? Do you see the assumption? She's going outside of the home to get things for the home. This may include working, but certainly it it includes going to the store and buying things. She also rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and a portion for her maidservants. So here, obviously, we're talking about uh, making food to eat. Uh, Notice she's a hard worker and so on, not lazy or whatever. Verse 16, she considers a field and buys it. From her profits, she plants a vineyard. Again, this isn't the situation where, you know, yes, dear, and the man makes all the decisions here. She's going out. She's investing her money. She's buying things for the benefit of her family. She girds herself with strength and strengthens her arms. Okay, now... Is that to be understood metaphorically or literally? <laughs> hey, um, there, there's some debate on that. Uh, she perceives that her merchandise is good and her lamp does not go out by night. Again, there's some debate on how to handle this, but um, she's wise, possibly in the things that she buys, maybe is the implication here. Uh, maybe if she's selling things, right? you see the wisdom that she has here with her merchandise she has things on hand so the lamp doesn't go out. Uh, maybe it means that she works late in the night. Yeah, there's some debate on how to handle some of these things and understand them. Uh, verse 19, she stretches out her hands to the distaff and her hand holds the spindle. So obviously she's making clothing here 
for the family. Uh, she extends her hand to the poor. Yes, she reaches out her hands to the needy. So do you see the goodness extending beyond okay, the family? So she's, she's showing hospitality, you might say. Um, <clears throat> verse 21, she is not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household is clothed with scarlet. She's been working ahead. She's been preparing okay, so they can survive the winter. Um, verse 22, she makes tapestry for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Because she's a hard worker, they're not just dressed in rags. Now, sometimes in God's providence, obviously, there's not much you can do. Many of us can only afford clothes from Walmart. That's fine. But do you see the implication here of being a hard worker and therefore having some good things? Uh, verse 23, her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. This has nothing to do with the husband's character. <laughs> this is everything to do with the woman here in this context. So because she is a loving uh, wife and a good mother, hard worker, wise, all these things that we've just read, okay, her husband then is looked up to because he has a good wife. Next it says, she makes linen garments and sells them and supplies sashes for the merchants. So here clearly she is working. Um, again, she's not just barefoot and pregnant. She is working here. Um, but notice how it's still connected with the home, it seems. Okay, Going back to the earlier verses about making their own clothes. She makes extra and sells it, you might say. So verse 25, strength and honor are her clothing. She shall rejoice in time to come. Now, this clearly has a metaphorical meaning. Uh, verse 26, she opens her mouth with wisdom, and on her tongue is the law of kindness. Maybe you could say hey, that good idea. <clears throat> she watches over the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. And she is busy and hard worker and such. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Okay? If she is not loving children, okay, the children aren't going to think very highly of her. If she's not loving her husband, he's not going to praise her. And note what he says, verse 29, Many daughters have done well, but you excel them all. So this is the praise that he gives to his wife. Uh, Charm is deceitful and beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord shall be praised. And he hears some of the First uh, Peter 3 uh, connected with, with those words. Um, Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates. There's so much to say here and, and hopefully I've touched enough on, on the thoughts here. Um, <clears throat> but let me go back to the first thought. Older women, you need to step up and you need to teach the younger women. Younger women, Ignore the culture. Do not listen to what we are being taught today. Be what God wants you to be here in these ways. Well, <clears throat> I hate when we're skipping stones because I always feel like I, there's something I left out. <laughs> but I'm just scratching the surface here on these things. And, and yet, uh, that said, I think the idea is pretty straightforward. And So may God bless us, our families our church here in these ways. Let's pray together. 
Our Father and our God, we thank you um, for your word. We thank you for how your word calls us to be set apart, to be holy, to be different from the culture in which we live. We pray, Lord, that you would uh, bless our families, especially the older women in our families, and that you would strengthen them to be godly, as Paul has instructed and that they then would uh, faithfully and carefully instruct the younger women in godliness. And we pray then for the younger women here of our congregation and our friends that, that are with us. And uh, we pray, Lord, that you would bless them to, to not be uh, influenced by uh, the culture in which we live, but to, to stand out differently and to... to um, to live in a way that is consistent with what you intended for women to be. Uh, Lord, we pray for courage in that way and strength and endurance. And uh, we pray, Lord, that uh, all of this then would not only be a benefit for us now in the immediate, but uh, for years to come, uh, for even some of the generation that's not here yet. And we pray, Lord, for your blessings here in this way, your mercies. And uh, so we pray uh, all these things then in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat>